thank you for coming. It is so good to have you here. For those who weren't here last night, my name's Joe Rice. Yes, I'm British. Again, I'm sorry, there are so many of us here this weekend. We've totally taken over, but you can have your church back very soon. Um, but it's so, it is such a privilege to be here. I've honestly been sitting here for the last, whatever it is, 12 hours. It's not that long, is it? But this is the most amazing church, and um, it is. It really is. And it is a real treat to be part of this um, for this weekend. So thanks for having me. Um, so the theme today, redeeming singleness. Uh, we're going to be looking about, at what it looks like, like to lead the single life well in the kingdom. Um, if you're looking for a fast track not to be single... That's tomorrow's seminar with Henry Cloud. So don't miss that one um, because he has the answers on that. I don't have the answers on that at all. That will, I am of no use to you in how not to be single. Um, but uh, yeah, this is about how to do the single life well. And uh, the caveat is I am no John Mark Comer. I'm no theologian. Um, when I spoke to, basically, I invited myself to come and stay with Lizzie and Gare this weekend. We're friends of 20-something years. And they went, yeah, great, it's focus, come to focus. I was like, oh, that sounds, that sounds fun. I mean, I wouldn't know anyone, and you're going to be busy, but kind of fun. Um, and then Gare said, would you up, be, up for doing a seminar or something? And I was like, yeah, sure. Anyway, about three weeks ago, I, te I texted him going, if if I am going to do a seminar, can you just warn me about what it might be about? Um, and he said, yeah, I've got a title for you. It's called Redeeming Singleness. I was like, oh, great, thanks. Okay, yeah, no, I can do that. Anyway, he was then over in London. We had dinner. And he said, are you actually okay with doing that? And I was like, yeah, sure, I've, I've done a bit of that before. And he said, oh, I didn't know. I just really like people to speak from their greatest source of pain. And I thought that was probably yours, so that was why I gave you that subject. So just to give you a little insight into your very amazing pastor, um, that is how we find ourselves here. And um, these are just my personal reflections. I'm no guru on this subject. I'm just sharing my own thoughts and experience, and I would welcome correctives from anyone at the end. Um, is there anyone here who isn't actually single? Thank you for coming. Just want to say, we really, really appreciate the fact that you're here. So thank you for coming. Um, and for those of us that are, you um, might be single for many different reasons. It might be um, because you're bereaved. It might be an active choice. It might be because you're just too young not to be single. Um, and the chances are that all of us are actually going to be single again at some point um, in our lives, even if we aren't now. And so it feels like a really important topic to cover, doesn't it? Um, we, if we have time, we're, we're starting a bit late. If we have time, we'll do a bit of Q&R at the end. Um, so have a thought. If you have questions you'd rather not shout out, um, then just write them on something and pass them to Lizzie and she will shout them out for you. She's good at shouting out. It's a, it's a spiritual gift. 
<clears throat> and just to say, you might be sitting here going, I'm actually doing single life really well, thanks. And I don't know why Gare didn't ask me to do this seminar. If that's the case, you are welcome. I'm sure there's a second microphone or you can have this one. But I'm aware that for some of us, this topic of singleness is a source of really profound significance and pain. And it affects our sense of identity and our hope. And as John Mark so exquisitely laid out today, can affect our relationship with God and with one another. And we find ourselves in this particular moment in history, don't we, where, where society has just changed beyond recognition. I was looking up, up, I couldn't find more recent figures than this, but in 2009, 45.7% of the population were single. And it was only on an upward trajectory at that point. So by this stage, I imagine, 12 years later, that probably more than half of the adult society that we're in is going to be single which is actually not great news for society. And, and the work that the church is doing to champion marriage and family life is so vital, it's so important. But that's a topic for another seminar to address. But for those of us who are single, I'm aware that those of us who are caught up in that cultural precedent, like we're in the church, but we're also part of a cultural norm that we're responding to, there is so much pain and heartbreak involved in being single for many of us. And so it's that I just really want to take a look at today. I've never been married. Um, there are many reasons for that. Uh, some I've worked out, a bit of therapy. Some uh, some of it's a complete mystery to me, and I have no idea how I've landed here. And being single was a massive source of disappointment for me for most of my 20s and 30s. I felt like I was in the waiting room of life. I mean, I, I remember saying to a friend, I feel like my life hasn't begun because I haven't met my partner yet. Um, and she just looked at me aghast. She was like, you're running this non-profit that you started with a friend. You, you know, do these extraordinary things. You have a home that is beautiful. You have this life. But for me, it felt like life hadn't started. And there were some really sort of, what could be perceived as really sort of um, trivial dynamics to that. There was this sense that, you know, I can't go to that restaurant or go to do that thing because that's the kind of thing you do on a date and I don't have a date, so I can't do those things. I mean, absurd stuff, but I was sort of saving up all these big sort of experiences, even as small as going to restaurants because I was thinking I can't really do that stuff because that date stuff. And, and then other daft stuff like, you know, I'd had cutlery for 20 years that was black. It was, it was done. It had done its job and needed replacing. But I was like, I can't buy new cutlery because that's what you get on a wedding list. You know, there was these really peculiar sort of um, dynamics going on that, I'm in, uh, that meant that I really was in um, the waiting room. I was kind of not doing the stuff now because I was waiting for the moment when life was all going to start and some 
handsome chap arrived in my life. But they were the sort of trivial things. Some of, some of the things that were going on in that season of disappointment for me were much more serious. And, you know, there was, there was that constant um, analysis in every worship song that if God is faithful, then how come these thousands and thousands of prayers that I've prayed have gone unanswered? And I'd be faithfully singing, God is faithful, but actually really questioning whether that was true all at the same time. There was the very real pain of not having children. And I really had wanted that. I'd really wanted a family life. And not having children was big. And almost more than that, everything was a trigger. Like every TV show, every conversation had some kind of trigger in there that used to remind me over and over again that I was single. As you can tell, it wasn't a happy time. Now, many of you won't have that as badly as I did, but there are very real challenges, right, with, with singleness around feeling isolated and sometimes lonely, wanting physical and sexual intimacy, what to do for vacations. I mean, you guys don't get any vacation, right? You get like 10 days a year. I get 30. Just saying, move to the UK. But, you know, the dynamics uh, on holidays with family as the only single person in the room. Um, for those of you, you're probably all too young, but has anyone ever, here ever watched Bridget Jones? Okay, yeah, we've all watched Bridget Jones. So Bridget Jones, I mean, I am actually the same age as Bridget Jones, if you read the book. That's my claim to fame. We have a lot in common. And I remember going to see that movie for the first time when it came out. And on my right, I was with the guy who I was, I don't know whether we were dating. It was one of those complex Christian, I don't know. We spent a lot of time together. Um, who knows? Um, later, he said we were. So that's good. Anyway, Daniel Cleaver on the right. And there I was watching this movie, Daniel Cleaver on the right. And we'd gone with this other friend who was a human rights lawyer. He was Mark Darcy. And I found myself watching this film going, I am Bridget Jones. I am living her life here and now. And now I have to watch it in a movie with those guys sitting next to me. It was very complex. And it was complex. There was, all, there was all kinds of pain involved in that. But for me, um, it wasn't actually any of those things that the, were the real challenge for me. For me, simply the shame of being single was so intense. I, um, when, I was, when I turned 40, I, um, I signed up at a church conference, actually in California, uh, for building stronger teams. I'm an executive coach and I work with teams on, on uh, how to create high performance teams. I was on sabbatical. I was like, this is perfect. Go to California, go to a, a workshop at a church on building stronger teams. Signed up, arranged my whole sabbatical around going to this workshop. And then about a month before I was due to come, having booked my accommodation and the car and la la la, they pulled that conference in favor of the intensive single life workshop and I was snookered 
into, that probably isn't a phrase here. Anyway, I was backed into a corner um, of going to this intensive, it was literally called the Intensive Single Life Workshop. And there was nothing I wanted to do in the world less. Um, And it only got worse because I found myself in this workshop in a session on shame where in your small group you had to write down your greatest source of shame and then share it with the group. Um, It was was intensive. um, But in that moment, you can imagine the kinds of things that people were sharing really bravely in, in that group. But in that moment, I realized that for me, my greatest source of shame in my life was the fact that I was single. It was the fact that I had basically failed to achieve the one thing that it seemed like the world needed me to achieve, that my family needed me to achieve, that my culture needed me to achieve, that my church needed me to achieve. And it was a really profound moment. And I... I realized that actually there were many reasons why this shame existed, but probably the most significant was that it was the easiest way for the enemy to keep me out of action. Like if I was waiting for life to happen before I could do anything, and the only way life was going to start happening was by me getting married, then it was a great, it, it was a great reason not to participate. And there were all kinds of reasons, and we talked about some of them last night, about why that shame existed. And some of them were about the church. So some of them were about the fact that there were very few single leaders of either sex that were up front. I mean, in my formative years, none, actually. And when leaders did introduce themselves, they introduced themselves on their family credentials. I once attended a church where if you weren't married, you weren't allowed to lead the prayers because essentially your marriage gave you the credentials. It meant that you were a safe pair of hands. I mean, we all know married people who are not a safe pair of hands in leading prayers. You know, marriage and and having children were celebrated as the blessing, like the only way in which, the only blessing that we could celebrate in life. And as I talked about last night, marriage was often the punchline to every testimony. They found Jesus and then they got married. And, And that was the way that the life of the kingdom was explained. Not consciously, not even deliberately, but unwittingly, that was what was being portrayed. And I didn't qualify for all of the programs that my peers were going through, whether that was the pre-marriage program, the marriage course, the marriage MOT, parenting babies, parenting small children, parenting teenagers, mums of little ones, like all of the programs in the church were built around family life almost without exception. And then I remember going to um, a festival a bit like this, but, but bigger, where the guy at the front in one of the services, he said, right, okay, I want all this in the middle of the talk, all the single people stand up. You're in a, you know, a big top of probably 7,000 people. All the single people stand up. Okay, look around. You do the math. Now, I have no idea what he meant. 
it was really humiliating. I was like, I don't know what you're trying to achieve here, but there's just shame everywhere, all over what you're doing right now. So there was, there was this unwitting shame. I don't think anything was deliberate, but there was this shame going on in the church. And then there's the wider culture of, you know, your family pressure. For me, actually, that hasn't been so extreme. I think my family gave up long ago that I was, you know ever going to meet anyone. So there's very little pressure there. But I know in some cultures, the pressure is really extreme in terms of, um, you know, the need to get married. But in our wider culture, and I think probably particularly in a city in LA, like, like LA, the, the whole idea of, of romance or just sex life is the pinnacle of life, right? That is everything that we um, need to aspire for. It doesn't, there is nothing more than that. And then you get the comments like, why is a lovely girl like you single? And I don't know how I'm meant to answer that. Well, my therapist says I have attachment issues. I mean, I don't know what, what, what is the answer to that meant to be? And again, it's, it's intended from a good place, but actually what it does is basically say, why have you failed? Is what you can hear when those questions get asked. So in that moment, in that seminar, I realized, you know what? The reality of being single wasn't actually so hard. I had a really rich life. I had good friendships. I had 13 godchildren. Life was good. But the shame of it was really crippling me. And yet here I found myself in a church. And let, let's not forget, Jesus and Paul were both single. Like if we are followers of Jesus, I mean, it's a, it's a decent role model to be single. You know, like we're in good company. There is no marriage in heaven. So heaven, which is the place where there is no pain and suffering, there is no marriage there. We will all walk in there single. And yet, there's this incredible um, pressure and value and celebration of marriage. Now, please don't mishear me. I love, I would love to be married. I think marriage is a wonderful thing. But there is a risk that the church has entered a really idolatrous relationship with marriage and with family life that needs resisting. And when I finally actually looked at what the Bible was saying, I was pretty shocked, partly because, as I said last night, I don't think I'd ever heard it preached on. And um, I was talking to someone last night, I was saying, you know, 1 Corinthians 7. Um, that sometimes gets used as a bit of a weapon when you're single as well. Look, Paul says it's basically a gift. You're like, yeah, which you have not chosen. You know, it, there's, there's a weapon in it, but I think it can be read another way. It's a really long passage. Um, so I've abridged it uh, for the sake of this morning. But I'd love us to just look at that um, for a few minutes together. And I think it's going to come up on the screens. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm looking in the NIV, and which version you use does ma matter in, when reading this. So do go away and read other versions. 
But Paul writes, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's just reflect on what that means. If this is the teaching that our church is following, then all of the people who are married had to get married because they were burning with passion. I'm just saying. <laughs> now about virgins, I have I, singles. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you p- pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. This is quite different from the teaching that I had heard up until this point. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who's settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. He who does not marry her does better. Now, that passage just turned my world upside down because... So some, for clarity, some commentators say that's contextual. Paul, there was a crisis going on in Corinth. They think some kind of food security crisis. That could have been the rationale of why he was saying what he was saying. It could be that Paul just believed Jesus was coming back any minute now. So, hey, guys, you know, you're not going to be married in heaven. You might as well just not bother in the meantime. Even if that's true, and it may well be, What he is saying is very clear. If you're married, you did not sin in getting married. But it is better to remain single. Do we believe that? Because, let me be clear, I don't know many people who would necessarily trade married life for singleness. And I really hope that everyone here who would like to get married does so and is happily married. 
But <laughs> if you're single, please don't live your life thinking that you've failed because you're doing life without a partner. That's what this verse gives us. And if you're married, please don't consider or treat those of us that haven't married as incomplete. I remember um, chatting to a friend who is an extraordinary, wonderful man in a very happy marriage. And his wife was away and I said, oh, you know, how are you, how are you getting on without her around? And he said, oh, it's very sweet. People are inviting me over for dinner like some sad bachelor. Now, he meant it as an off-the-cuff remark, but what he was implicit, <laughs> implying in that statement is that being a bachelor would be a sort of tragic failure of a situation and people were taking pity on him. And it reflects something of what he really believed about the value of marriage. And what this passage makes clear is that to, to believe that is just so wrong. And we have to stop treating singleness like an illness that needs healing, which is how I think I probably spent 20 years thinking about it. Because when you feel like you're sick, it shapes how you behave. And when you are treated like you, you're sick, you eventually start to believe that you are. So if there's one thing you take away from today, let it be that. Like you are enough in and of yourself. You have chosen a good path. And I pray that God will give you the desires of your heart. But while you are in this place, you are in no way broken or in need of healing. One theologian friend actually suggested that I, ha I needed to take the word singleness out of the name of any seminar I gave on singleness because it was too shameful to turn up to a session with singleness in the title. Just shows how bold you guys are. But when a theologian starts saying that, you know you're really in trouble. But even if there's no shame in singleness, the temptation to shame is strong. And also the pain in single life can be really real. So setting shame aside for a moment, there's just real grief, isn't there? Aside from shame, there's the grief of potentially not having children. There's the grief of adjusting to other people's change as your friends change life stage and their lives change and yours stays the same, except it doesn't because it adjusts around their changes. The feeling of, of exclusion when you just don't get invited into stuff. I remember being in a church once, it was actually the, the group, um, slightly younger than me, but there was a group of, um, of couples who got married in one year and they actually formed a club for the newly married and the girls would make cupcakes and the guys would go bowling and they would talk about their new married life together. Meanwhile, their single friends were just left out in the cold and not invited into this space. And there's dealing with the unanswered prayers and all that that means and all that that brings in terms of 
navigating disappointment with God. And I think if you want advice on how to handle that, then I think John Mark's talk this morning is the ultimate response. But it's But sometimes for all that marriage and family life offers, it's hard for married people to understand those challenges. And that because actually some of what single life looks like is freedom to them. And I think sometimes this can be a revelation because, you know, as singles, we get to buy whatever we want, whenever we want, without consulting anyone. We can buy shoes, we can buy cars, We can buy all kinds of things without consulting anyone. You give that up in marriage. We can lie in every day. We don't have to cook meals all day, every day. We can go out every night. And it's easy to forget that actually for people who are married, and particularly those with kids, that kind of freedom is a is tantalizing. It's like there's so much in that that they look at and think, wow, that is everything I have left behind. And there are bigger strains that actually as singles we don't have to bear. And Paul references this in in that passage, doesn't he? That actually as, as married people we have divided loyalties between needing to care for our spouse and our children and in serving God. But we are not having to deal with the massive pressures that children are facing right now. We've got a mental health epidemic going on out there and the parents in our midst are lost in how to handle that. And they are lying awake at night worrying about their kids every night. And we as singles don't have to do that. We all know, mums particularly, who've lost their whole sense of self in having kids, who sort of don't know what their contribution is. And that is a, that's a wrestle I've never had to deal with. So there's, pains on, there's pain on both sides of this equation. And it's really um, tempting sometimes when you're living in this single life to lose empathy for what's going, what goes on on the other side, but also fail to recognize just how complicated life gets when you add more people to it. There is an incredible richness that comes with adding more people to your life. And there's an incredible complexity that comes with that. And I think as singles, especially when you're in the church where there's this slightly idolized vision of marriage that's presented, we can lose sight of the challenges and the burdens and the complexity that marriage brings because, because of course, we're not going to have those marriages. When we get married, we're going to have a really spectacular marriage. We are going to communicate perfectly all the time. We are not going to fight except in, you know, measured tones and we will make sure that it is resolved before we go to sleep every time. That's what we believe, isn't it? We're going to have that kind of marriage. But the truth is, think of the worst marriage that you've witnessed. That is the one that you could be in. And it's important that we remember that that is the reality of some married life. I remember a friend who, at the time, I was wondering if she was a friend because it felt like such an obnoxious thing to say. 
But she said to me, the, the funny thing is, I was sort of whining about being single. She said, the funny thing is, it wasn't funny. The funny thing is, a hundred years ago, you definitely would have been married, but you could have been married to a man that you despised, which I think was meant to be a consolation. It didn't feel like it in the moment, but actually, you know what it, it is? Um, for those who's ever read or watched Pride and Prejudice, okay, girls, we could all have been married to Mr. Collins. Like, we imagine that we're going to be married to Mr. Darcy, but it could have been Mr. Collins. And there was a there's a time in our history when we would have had to do that just to survive economically. We live in a time when we are free not to do that. And that is worthy of celebration. Because we generally compare the worst of our lives with the best of others. And then we end up in this sort of war of attrition where we sort of lose empathy for people who've managed to navigate the life stage that we haven't got to. And it's just, and that's when the walls come up and the divides happen. And then when we add into that, uh, the structures that we can sometimes create in the church or we create for ourselves around which services we go to, which home groups we go to, which social events we go to, all becoming separated by life stage. We end up in these silos where we end up doing life together in those little silos. I remember for years I was in prayer groups with other um, single girls and all we would talk about was why we were single and pray about when we wouldn't be and then we'd talk about all the boys and how they needed to go for therapy and, and sort of hatch plans of how we were going to make them get there because they, they had to be right for one of us at some stage, surely. Like, that is what we prayed about. There was no seeking after the Lord kingdom stuff, which Paul is talking about. We'd completely lost sight of that. And actually, it wasn't until I ended up in a small group, there were four of us in this group, uh, there was me, I was single. There was another friend who uh, was, had been married for eight years and they weren't able to have kids. There was another who'd been married for 12 years and managed to have one, but didn't think she could have a second. And then another who was drowning in having two small children under five and was losing her whole sense of self. And it wasn't until I joined that group that I was like, you know what, there is stuff going on in my life which is really good your life looks really hard from where I'm sitting. And there are things that are hard about mine. And similarly, they came to understand what was going on in my life. So for me, the big shift that needs to happen is that we need to do life with one another and to understand what being in the family of God really means in a way that is radically inclusive. Now, I'm aware that here... We are, this is why I'm so grateful for those who are not single in the room for being here. Because actually, there is so much, um, only so much that we as singles can do ourselves, but there are things. But I'm going to come on to that. To our married friends, thank you for being here. Some tips for you. Um, celebrate your marriage. Do Valentine's Day every day. Um, but just don't invest in your family so much that it doesn't make room for the wider church family. I loved what Steve was saying last night. Sorry, Matt. Was it Matt? 
Matt last night about how people were knocking on the door all the time. I was like, that is exactly what the family of God should look like. Because the reality is no marriage can actually fulfill all of your emotional needs. And when you make it try to fulfill them, it will fail and you will struggle. And I think that is why so many marriages are failing. We weren't designed for that to be the case. We were designed to live in family. And so next time you're inviting people over, consider which single friends you could include, even if the numbers aren't even. Don't invite them all at once. Invite them with your married friends. And um, (laughs) I have a, a very good friend, actually, Lizzie and I used to work for her, who was so concerned about the singles in the church that she invited every, all of the single people that she knew over at the same time. There were about 30 of us. We all thought we were just going for dinner. But actually, we turned up and there were badges on the door. We all had badges as we walked in and then we were told to mingle. She stayed in the kitchen the whole night and we had no idea what was going on. Don't do that. Um, don't assume that uh, single people don't want to come if the kids are there. Give them the option to decline. But don't make that decision for them. And that extends to vacations too. Some of the happiest holidays I've been on is with friends and their kids. There's nothing more wonderful than being followed round like a shadow by a cute eight-year-old. And those times are really precious for me. I am really good at Uno and Monopoly Deal. And I can entertain your kids for hours with those two games. And I love that. So don't exclude. Consider the fact that birthdays and Christmases are tough when you're on your own. Pay more attention than you might with your married friends on that. And don't think that just because we aren't married and we don't have our own children, that we can't help you navigate the challenges of family life. We need to hear about the challenges that married people are facing because otherwise it creates this continued illusion of the perfect family life. But we can also help you navigate those in more ways than just babysitting. Okay, so that's for the marrieds. For all four of you, thank you for coming. But to my fellow singles, firstly, if you are young and you want to get married and you meet someone you'd like to marry, then don't dither. Like, do it. Get married. That's what Paul is saying here. If you want to get married, do it. Don't do this sort of waiting till I'm 40, which I think is what men tend to do right now, or, or 30 if you're girls. Just get on with it. Do life together. Grow up together. But be clear that marriage is not going to heal you. You will take all your brokenness into your marriage. A friend of mine says, um, he does quite a lot of counselling, and he was like, oh, you should meet people and you think, oh, I'm a broken vase and you're a broken vase, and together we will put our vases together and we will become one whole vase. He's like, no, you're a broken vase, you're a broken vase, and together you are two broken vases with more brokenness to resolve than you had before. (laughs) Marriage is wonderful, but it is not the ultimate fix. So don't get married simply because it's a life goal. Marrying the wrong person is way lonelier 
than a single life lived well. And if, like me, you're a little older and you think you might be in danger of living in the waiting room, a few things to consider. Really work at not being offended. When people ask you why you're still single, what they mean is you would make a great husband or a great wife. That's what they're saying. They are the words they should use. (laughs) But when they ask you why you're single, choose to hear that because that is what they mean. Secondly, practice hospitality, not just with other singles, but I think there's a temptation when we feel like victims of this big cultural dynamic that we're living in that we think that actually the rest of the community should be looking after us. But you know what? The couples and the families in our church need looking after too. And I can tell you from experience, no one will be more grateful to be invited over than a family of five on a Sunday lunchtime because no one asks them anywhere, ever. And they are so low maintenance You can give them pasta and pesto and they will be absolutely thrilled. (laughs) Just not cooking is a gift. So practice hospitality and include them. And you know what? When you do that, they will include you. Get into a small group with people of different life stages. It's good for them and for you. And understand in that context how the challenges only grow with family life. And you can stop comparing your situation with the fairy tale romances that we sort of dream of. I remember doing a workshop um, with a friend on singleness the day after Harry and Meghan's wedding. And he was like, how did you find the wedding? And I was like, it was awful because it was perfect. I mean, apart from the missing dad thing, it was just glorious. Like, she was so beautiful. He loved her so much. Prince Charles, now King Charles, you know, took over the... I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, how do we feel about that now? That was no fairy tale. But it's really easy to buy into that. The closer you get into other people's family lives the more prepared you will be for your own when it comes. Practice gratitude. I am in the lowest moments of, um, of my single life. I became obsessed with all the things I didn't have. And um, uh, then someone gave me one of those five-year diaries like teenagers have. Um, or eight-year-olds have. It didn't have a lock on it, but in every other respect, it's like an eight-year-old's five-year diary. And for the last 15 years now, I have written my five-year diary. There is nothing, if you find it, read it, Um, because there is nothing emotional in it. it. I literally write down what happened that day. But it has totally, I lost it for six weeks, and I plunged to the depths. But there's something about reminding myself that today, I had a coffee with Lizzie, and... I did a seminar, and the sun shone, and I'm in California. Um, today is a particularly good day. But, but actually just writing down the things 
that happened that day had changed my whole state of mind. And it also meant that I would make sure that I was planning things in that I meant I didn't have a totally duff day, which was nothing happened. And I started just being a bit more proactive about how to make sure it was there. There was something to write down. If Paul says that is, it is better to be single, it must be possible to do single life well. And so I'd really encourage you to make that your prayer. If Jesus is enough, I remember there was a point at which I was like, I'd gone through all the please can I have a husband prayers and I'd run out of steam on that. Occasionally I, I get some steam back, but I'd run out of steam. And I remember saying, actually just before I went to this conference, I was like, Jesus, if, if you are enough, you need to be enough. And if you do take yourself off, as John Mark suggested, and sit with your pain today, that would be my encouragement to you to discuss with Jesus. If you say you're enough, then be enough. And show me what that looks like. One of Paul's biggest arguments for the single life is is the ability to pursue God with your whole heart with an undivided way. There's an opportunity in this time of singleness that may last and endure and may not. But we've got an opportunity here to pursue God with everything, with an undivided heart. And that would be my biggest encouragement for us I love the fact that John Mark spoke on what he spoke on this morning. It felt like the best setup for this seminar. That actually, we've been given some pain. This is the pain that we may have been given. There's an opportunity in that to pursue God, to ask him where he is in the midst of that, to ask him what he's doing in and through us for that. And if we do that well, it will prepare us so well for whatever this next season may mean for us, whether that's married or not. But his promise is that he will meet you in it and he is with you in it. I'm alert to time. So for all of my promises of a q and I've just failed on that. I'm so sorry. Um, but I'd love us to pray briefly. Um, before we get released into the joys of lunch. Um, so should we just stand quickly and, and let me pray for us? Jesus, I just want to thank you for every person in this room. For the boldness of coming today. For the desire to press in to you.
And Lord, I want to pray that if anyone is carrying shame, that you would take it from them. If that's you, just in your mind's eye, just want you to almost hold it in your hands in front of you and hand it over to Jesus. He died so that you would not know shame. And where there's grief, Lord, would you draw near by your spirit, I pray, for your healing hand. And Jesus, I just want to praise you that we can trade those things for the fruits of your spirit, that even in this second choice world that some of us find ourselves in, that you offer us love and joy and peace and all the good things of the spirit. And Father, for those who are looking for their spiritual family, I want to pray that even this afternoon, you would ordain the most wonderful encounters with our brothers and sisters. That you would help us to find that spiritual home in this amazing community. And I pray that you'd show us our role in that, who we need to reach out to. But I pray, Lord, that we'd leave tomorrow knowing others and being known. And most importantly, being known and experiencing being known by you. Help us to trust you, Lord, through the disappointment. Because you are good. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming, everyone. I hope you have the most amazing weekend.